0: Starting a conversation can be a powerful way to challenge mental health stigma and get people to think about their perceptions. Uh, but all of us, our mental health is just as important as our physical health. Taking steps to ask for help um, helps us recognize this and can um, remove kind of the misconceptions about mental health problems and people experience them. You know, one In six UK workers experience depression, stress or anxiety, Um, mental ill health is the leading cause of sickness absence in the UK. One in 10 people have resigned a job due to stress. One in four have thought about it. 19% of staff feel they can't speak to their managers about stress at work. In challenging times like today, I really wanted to bring up the subject of mental health, but particularly in men. And what I really wanted to explore was what masculinity is and what does it um, mean to be a man today. I hope you appreciate and enjoy today's uh, talk. With this said, I'm going to allow my guest to now introduce himself.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, My name is Jean Piero and I was born in Peru and when I was 14, my family moved, moved to the U.S. And I think overall, I had a, a happy upbringing. And it wasn't until 2009 that uh, I joined the U.S. Army. Uh, I've heard once said that uh, people do things out of inspiration or desperation. And at the time, in 2009, uh, the economy wasn't doing so well in the U.S. and in the worldwide, too and uh, i wanted to provide for my family so i went to see the military recruitment center and i asked them if i was still young enough to join the military and they took me in and uh immediately i joined the army i went to training and actually my biggest concern was will i make it through training and and i did So I I joined the training, and I graduated, and then soon after that, I was in a a station in Germany, and within a few weeks, I was sent to Afghanistan, and that was the beginning of uh, my—I was in a war zone, and I was a soldier doing foot patrols every day, and I was there for 10 months, and I got to be exposed to a lot of things that, uh, in theory, I thought that I would be okay with, but there was suffering— from the people on my side and seeing suffering in the other side and seeing children get hurt. And eventually that took a toll on me, even though at the time I didn't know it was happening because in the midst of everything, you become numb and more numb and uh, you're not aware that things are happening to you uh, in your mind. In uh, Yeah.
0: At the time when you joined it was a difficult time and it led you to take some unusual steps so you had no desire essentially to go to the U.S. military and and join but eventually when you did how long was the training before you're kind of um, set up for something like this?
1: Uh, the training is about three months more or less uh, three months where you go in there and you do a lot of different physical exercises and you uh go through a lot of different training where basically you are, what's the word? You're conditioned to follow orders and uh, because that's what's needed in the battlefield. Uh, There's no time to question authority. You just go there and you do what has to be done. And on top of that, you begin to develop these uh, friendships uh, with uh, the people that you're training with. So at some point it becomes a matter of you develop this new family and wherever you go, you're gonna go there to take care of each other and make sure that we all come back together. And uh, yeah, once you, you're in combat, uh, all politics or beliefs and ideologies go out the window and you're just there doing your job and trying to make sure that you and your friends come home uh, in one piece.
0: You had mentioned that you wanted to kind of come out at the back of what you had experienced to become Um, a public speaker and somebody who wants to be able to facilitate this space so that others can remove the taboo around speaking mental health. So you mentioned that you uh, served the US military for three years and spent most of your 2010 in a combat tour in Afghanistan. And then around 2014, um, you were diagnosed uh, with uh, PTSD. For anybody who might be listening, um, what is PTSD?
1: So, it's post uh, traumatic stress disorder. And the way I interpret that to be is that you encounter evil or you encounter a way of the world that you never thought you would be encountered with. uh, Your eyes are open, and all of a sudden, you see yourself in a situation either being a perpetrator or The victim of a specific situation and the world as you know it changes it gets shattered and then uh then there's a process of trying to integrate the who am i and what is this new world that i i knew in theory but now i am living it and now it's living within me Uh, because a lot of these memories a lot of this uh Events that took place, they will come with you and they will become almost as they call it intrusive thoughts or feelings, emotions that from time to time, minor things could trigger them. Uh, somebody shuts the door or uh, the timer on your uh, uh, kitchen clock goes off, and those uh, little sounds uh, trigger emotions and sounds that you're familiar with. And then you go into a visceral feeling reliving what you went through at some point
0: wow and thank you for sharing that you were fortunate enough you had mentioned to um, find a way out of it Um, but before we go into it do you mind sharing kind of some of the signs and symptoms that you had and what that experience was like
1: Okay. Uh, One of the things, and sometimes uh, it's important that you have a network of people around you who who know you. And uh, some of the people that I grew close to uh, came to me when we were back in Germany after Afghanistan. And they noticed different things about me. Like uh, they knew me from the beginning as somebody who likes to smile a lot and talk a lot and be friendly. And they told me, Jean-Pierre, you don't smile like you used to. And uh, a couple of them recommended, why don't you go and talk to someone? Which is rare to have that kind of conversation amongst men. And I took that as a a feedback that, okay, something has changed inside me. And I knew it. And uh, at the time, as many of the people that I served with, because you become something that you don't know, a lot of them who had uh, difficulties or problems with their within their relationships that augmented that became even more noticeable and a lot of the guys that I served with were going through divorce and i i thought at the time it must be the divorce and knowing that okay my kids are not going to, we're not going to grow in the same uh idea that i thought i was going to grow and be there for my kids because now i'm going through this divorce so I went to the psychologist a couple of times and I just said, yeah, I'm just concerned about this whole divorce thing and my children. And to me, those two visits were at the end of it until 2014. But then later on, 2014, my life was good. I had a good relationship uh, with my ex-wife. I was in uh, constant communication with my children and I had remarried and I was in a happy place. And yet there was this uh, anxiety and this sadness uh, in spite of all the good things that were going on in my, that was going on in my life, uh, there was this overwhelming feeling of sadness. And I, I've read enough psychology-based uh, books, self-help books to realize, okay, this isn't good. And I started drinking at the time and I did it in such a way that I, I had it in the schedule. So nobody who was close to me really noticed that I was drinking. And I realized to my, I realized this is not a long-term solution. And I took myself to uh, the VA, the Veterans Affairs Hospital, and I just uh, asked, I I need to talk to someone. I'm not doing well emotionally. And they paired me up with a psychologist. And I was able to see this uh, therapist for 10 months every two weeks. And through the process of it all, I later realized that what he did for me is that he never gave gave me any advice. He never told me what to do. He just created the space for me to speak. And the more I spoke, the more I listened to myself, and the more I realized that some of the things that I was saying were not necessarily true or that I started making distinctions between what I was feeling because... All these negative feelings that we feel, you know, anxiety, uh, sadness, and not feeling worthy, uh, they have one thing in common. They don't feel good. So if you go through life not feeling good and you're not able to identify what exactly about that feeling is that you're feeling today, is it anger? Is it sadness? And therapy allowed me to begin to label properly what I was feeling at the time when I was feeling down.
0: Thank you for sharing that and what I heard you say was um, it was at the back of some of your relationships through friendship groups that actually noticed a change in your behavior that actually led you to start questioning yourself. You had noticed some changes, you started um, consuming alcohol and you were also going through a decoupling process. Um, What I would like to ask is when you were going through the, the uncoupling process, was that a conscious decision or something that was unexpected? Uh,
1: I think it was going to come to that point because, like I said, uh, I've always been interested in all those self-help books. And I began to, to see patterns and I began to notice that as much as alcohol was a a tool, perhaps that I was using at the time to relax and try to numb some of the feelings, I knew that it was not a long term solution. I uh, I seen people around me who who were alcoholics or who had a, a bigger issue with alcohol, and I knew that if I continue in that uh, in that path in that way, that eventually it could turn on me really bad. And then I would, have, I would have been out of control a lot more than I was at the time. So I began to see all the little red flags. And uh, I think that is the, one, of the, one of the things that allows therapy or any kind of work to, to be effective is your willingness to want to do the work. And I think I realized, okay, the time is now for me to start working on some of those things that I'm suppressing.
0: And was your mental health a part of the reason why your relationship was impacted? And if so, how um, long into the relationship were you before you started realizing that actually we need to have a, a conversation and, and, and make that decision to separate?
1: Uh, we had been together for about, let me see, about six years together together. And there have been ups and downs in our relationship, but I changed a lot of things Uh, being faced with uh, evil or being faced with uh, the war. I became numb and I stopped talking. I stopped talking, I stopped sharing my feelings. And uh, soldiers uh, today, or I don't know how it is today, but when I was in the military, even though we were deployed, we had access to telephone calls with our families. And yes, there was a lot of things that we were not allowed to share as far as location and things that we were doing. But when it came down to simple conversations as how are you doing, what are you going through, I shut down and I didn't want to talk about my feelings, my emotions, uh, making plans for the future. And uh, so that even made it worse. Whatever issues we may have had in the past, it's almost like the relationship took a huge pause and I was not contributing at all to the emotional aspect of the relationship. So at some point, my my ex-wife was smart enough to to say, uh, if we're not growing in the same direction, then we need to talk about what the future is gonna look like for us. And I took the attitude of, I don't care, I don't care. And uh, then we made the decision to, to go our separate ways.
0: I was just curious to ask, um, It seems to me that this was a very conscious decision on your ex-wife's part and very unconscious decision for you where there were certain behaviors that impacted your uh, mental health and therefore um, didn't allow you to really open up, uh, especially given the circumstances that you were in. And Mm -hmm. you then decided to... you know not talk about it eventually that relationship um you know dissolved and now you're in a different phase of your life how long after when you were separated from your wife did it take you to understand that maybe uh, therapy might be something that you may need to consider
1: uh when we made the divorce final uh so i i came back in 2010 probably by 2012, I, I, I had realized that this was, there's a the concept of, I am getting a divorce and then there's rea- reality where it's happening that I was sort of numb. And then when, when it became official, then it hit me again. And then, uh, then I realized that uh, there were a lot of things that I was not doing for myself. But uh, I sort of thought, no, I could handle this. You know, this is just how life is. And uh, I sort of felt like uh, maybe I was behaving as a victim of life or like this is how life has happened to me. And uh, I did not want to, I didn't feel the need for, to seek out help, even though I knew it was the correct thing to do. And then two years later, my wife was in a very good place. I was happily married. I, my ex-wife continued to nurture the relationship between my children and I so she kept that alive for me and she helped me with that we 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 had a friendship at least and uh, in spite of all those good things going on in my life I was overwhelmed with uh, sadness and uh, negative emotion so that's when I realized and of course the drinking became more prevalent and I was hiding that from my my wife my 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 current wife and uh, she would go to work and then i would go to school i would come home and i had it in the schedule where i would drink within a time frame and then i knew i need to start sobering up right now because my wife is about to come home and i would shower shave dress up nicely and then for four months or so she had no clue and i i was in such a i I realized how good I had it with my wife, with my children, with my ex-wife that I realized if I keep going in this direction, I probably lose everything and I don't want to risk
0: that. And what was the defining moment where you had that realization that you could possibly lose everything?
1: The... knowing that I was in such a good relationship with with my my current wife, and uh, knowing that I was not telling the truth. Because also, I've learned that from my first relationship, that when not saying something, some people say, well, I'm not lying. I'm just holding back information. That's also a lie. And knowing that I was like in that path already and uh, we had this very beautiful relationship and we still do and it's grown even better where there was a lot of honesty and there was a lot of sharing our emotions and our feelings, but I had my secret where I was drinking to manage my pain or my, my emotions. And uh, I began to feel in danger of losing the, the, the happy relationship I had because I was in essence lying to my wife.
0: Okay. And you mentioned that you started to, you know, tell a story to yourself, and then eventually Uh you started to strategically manage your emotions where you started drinking through, you know, a certain time frame, and you actually made a conscious decision to take a shower, shave, smell good, and start sobering up by a certain time before your missus came back. Um, How long did you continue like this?
1: I think it was about four months, more or less, and it's interesting because i i'm a person who has a lot of different interests and at the time uh i i thought it would be interesting because i saw a lot of older men uh that were into whiskey so i said ah maybe i should become a whiskey aficionado and just like uh, buy all these different whiskeys and taste them and uh, i i became pretty good at learning a lot about the different whiskeys but uh then it became a way of life that was allowing me to numb my emotions. and But it, it was the secret that not being able to tell my wife that I was doing that uh, on a day-to-day basis that uh, began to seem to me uh, as a burden to carry because I knew from my prior experience that if you keep too many secrets or you keep, if you don't share, if you're not fully committed to share your life with your partner, then you're not in the relationship and then the, relationship will go away one way or another and I did not want that
0: and for somebody who's experienced true trauma um, what is the difference in symptoms between someone who witnesses trauma and somebody who experiences it
1: Hmm. I to be honest I'm not sure how to answer that question because I just, uh, I know that when it comes to trauma, whether you're the perpetrator or you are the victim of it, uh, at some point you have this aha moment when you realize my, work, my world as I knew it is no more. And that constant reminder of like, what did I do? Because I think everybody has a system of values, and if everything goes according to that system of values, then you are fulfilled, you are happy. And the moment your, your life experience or your actions are not incongruent, are not congruent with the way you think it should be, then I think you begin to suffer. So for my case, I, 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 I was a little bit undone in the sense that at the beginning of my deployment, for example, I did it because I wanted to provide for my children. I remember uh, talking on the phone with my ex-wife and saying, send me a lot of candy because all these beautiful children are always surrounding the soldiers asking for candy and it's a very nice thing. And then uh, at one moment, uh, there was an ex- For whatever reason, these three children came upon an explosive that was meant for us, the soldiers. And the kids got severely hurt because of the explosion. And me witnessing those children and my brain at the time, because I was, I thought I was doing what I was doing for my children. My brain did something to me where I saw the faces of my kids in the faces of those kids. And then I became completely numb and I did not want to have any kids around me. Uh, To me, kids being around me became very, very annoying, painful, and it wasn't desirable. To me, it was just like, "Kids, stay away from me," and uh, and I'm just gonna be numb from now on. Uh, and then I was like, I had this conflicting feelings of, I I'm doing this for my children, but now I'm here. Am I hurting other people's children? Am I the cause of it, or am I am I contributing to this whole thing? So I was uh, my values that I had before were gone, and I was like trying to integrate. What do I believe in? Who am I in this whole scenario? And uh, I think I've heard from a different psychologist that sometimes when you see yourself in the midst of doing something, that's when you become traumatized because it's, it, you, you do not know who you are because that good person you thought you were now is the possible cause of something that happened. So that took me a, a lot of time to integrate and to develop uh, a philosophy of good and evil and, and where I had these intentions and life happened a certain way. And yes, I, I'm not only good, but I'm also potentially the cause of hurt to other people and be able to live with that. It's kind of like the yin and yang, like you know, two opposite uh, energies that are also complementary towards each other and i had to find some happy medium in my life where life was happening and i could be the cause of happiness or i could also be the cause of hurt and learn to live with that
0: that's um extremely intense and i can't even begin to imagine how um you know how that must be and and to actually experience it witness it everything in between uh, what are the best treatments for PTSD, given that you've experienced it? And why are people with PTSD more likely to be angry?
1: Okay. I, I think it's, it's, it's a bittersweet journey. Uh, I could tell you now, having lived through the whole system, the whole process of joining the military and then going to get the help and There is a lot of paperwork involved. And, you know, paperwork inherently has the word work in it. I had to work very, very hard putting all this paperwork, follow up, go to all these different appointments to get my benefits. And in the end, I did receive my benefits. And part of that journey of wanting to put yourself together is that the mental health specialists cannot do it for you. Your wife cannot do it for you. Your family cannot do it for you. So it's like having that aha moment that my life is not optimal and I need to change, and then begin to tell yourself the truth. Today, I'm not feeling well. Today, I'm not feeling worthy, or today I'm angry. Or like, uh, and I think therapy for me, the reason why it works is because the therapist, the therapist created a space for me to speak. And then I began to, to discover through speech Uh, that some of the things that I was saying were not completely true because I was not the same. There was a person who witnessed pain and tragedy, but then years later, I was not that person anymore. Now it's a person who was in a different place. But sometimes your emotions take you back to that person who felt powerless or who felt uh, guilty or felt angry. And we think we're the same person, and we're not. I mean, sometimes our trials and our, our life experiences turn us into something a little stronger. So just, just because you're feeling a certain way doesn't mean that you are that thing. And I started to make distinctions, I guess. That, that's what helped. And yeah, it was that uh, space for me to speak. And I think the, the military tries to do a lot of good But then there's also a lot of, uh, could be uh, maybe expectations of a man, that a man is not supposed to speak, that a man is not supposed to uh, share their feelings. Uh, So those are little stigmas that that need to be uh, worked on. There's a big stigma about going to the psychologist because they're like, you're not crazy. You're okay the way you are. And, And believe me, that's the last thing a person who's in pain wants to hear. You're okay the way you are. Because deep inside, I knew there was something not optimal inside of me. And sometimes I share with some people, like family members, say, hey, I'm going to go see a psychologist or I'm seeing a psychologist. Why? You're good. Look at you. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. You're a good person. And deep inside, I'm working with this fragmented idea of who I am. I'm a good person, but I did something bad. And just because i did I thought I did something bad or I was the cause of something bad uh, doesn't mean that I was bad so I needed to put everything in in the right place and be able to to define me because definitely I was not the one who showed up day before combat I had become a whole different person completely because the things that you see and the things that you do you cannot unsee them or undo them you're just you, you live with them. And, and I think it's just learning how to tell the truth and learning how to uh, listen to yourself and speak. I think more than anything, speak. Tell your story to somebody who's earned the right to hear your story, not just to complain and to act like a victim, but to, I mean, you may have been a victim, but within every situation that we go through, we can find empowerment as long as we put everything within the right, uh, in its right place. Because there is something, there's who we were and there is who we want to be. Like some mornings it's really difficult for me to get out of bed. And I ask myself the question, who do I want to be today? Because that's the only thing I can control. How do I, who do I want to be today? How do I want to show up today? How do I want to be remembered by the end of the day? as opposed to, yeah, but this happened to me, or I did this, or I feel sad or guilty. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. The fact is, it happened. I cannot change my past, but I can change how I behave today and how I will be remembered by the end of the day. And I think all those little ways of thinking allow me to shape and give me power to, to look for hope or find hope in the future.
0: Thank you so much for um, being so candid about the conversations that men have to you know, show up in a certain way. And one of the things that I wanted to explore on this podcast was masculinity and what that really mm-hmm. means. And a survey of more than uh, 4,000 adults in the UK by mental health anti-stigma campaign, Time to Change, found that one in three of us um, would avoid speaking uh, to a friend who is struggling with their mental health or avoid an awkward conversation, very much to your point. And um, that's yeah. why people... People, uh, people's top concern is if they say the wrong thing and 39% of those 4,000 adults actually felt um, you know uncomfortable and 28% thought that it could possibly be rude and so what this survey really revealed was that half of the respondents say 51% would rather not tell anyone if they were struggling with their own mental health even if it might help and I applaud you for the way that not only you're showing up today, but the attitude and the story you're telling yourself today because our internal narrative can be um, damaging and it's very kind of one perspective and it's nice that you've been able to kind of, uh, you know, step away and kind of look at the broader picture that sometimes things happen to you and you need to understand kind of what life was trying to teach you. And through Mm -hmm. your speech, what I'm understanding is that you're extremely passionate about um, spreading the word and doing the right thing by saying, let's talk about mental health and it's appropriate, and there is no shame around it. So thank you. Right. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one thought that comes to mind is uh, Socrates, where he said that an, an an exam in life is not worth living, and we have to see ourselves not as a finished product. We're not done yet, because I believe that it's very easy to lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves by think by saying things like "I'm okay." I'm good. And it's like, no, you're not. And I want to add to some of the things that you were saying is that most of the time when you speak, you're going to say it wrong. You're going to say a lot of wrong things. The point of speaking is not to state something that is truth. I mean, whatever that means, truth. But you discover yourself as you speak. You become the judge in a way, instead of judging other people, become the judge of you. It's like, okay, I just said something, but that is not completely truth. Have you ever had a thought where in your mind it was so clever, and then the moment you said it, it was like, okay, that didn't make sense. That's how we are, and I think the more we speak and we are willing to go there and to be wrong but then we ourselves monitor that and say, okay, that was not quite right. Let me revisit that. And we continue to revisit and revisit who we think we are until we, we land in a place where we're happier with what we're saying and who we are. And we, we create more of who we are. But if we live in a lie, I'm okay. Life is good. What happened to me didn't affect me. Ah, it is what it is. It's like, Really? And then in perpetuity for the rest of your life, you're stuck in that moment and, and there's no future.
0: Yeah. And thank you for, you know, kind of explaining that in you know, the best way that you know. And um, when, you know, what was it like when you did return um, to the civilian life um, after serving for three years in Afghanistan?
1: I I was conflicted uh, because Americans mean well. And uh, immediately when you come back from a service, a tour of duty, uh, a war zone, uh, you have a sort of a hero status. Everybody says, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And I, I had a very difficult time with that because it's like, But what is it exactly that I did? What exactly are you thanking me for? Uh, there was so much pain and suffering over there. Uh, do I even deserve to be thanked? You know, somebody saying, thank you for what you did. I have a bigger, broad vision of that today, but at the time it was very, I was just like, stay away from me. I don't, don't, I don't even know what I did over there. So I don't, I didn't know how to respond to that. So it was uh I wanted I, I wanted a space to process what what I went through. Yeah. So yeah, that was my coming home.
0: Okay. And it can be very, very difficult. And I think it's 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 very brave that you've been able to really kind of um show what it's like behind the scenes and You know, you mentioned that, you know, we find our voice and, you know, we are better equipped to connect with ourselves and others, but we can only do that once we kind of see the person in the mirror and really reflect on, um, you know, the reality of what we think is. I personally you know, don't applaud any um, kind of wars that take place, not because of anything else, but to your point, what are we exactly accomplishing? And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here was really to, to, to have that conversation of the impact that it has on an individual after they've served, whether it's for their country. And in the name of pride, what we're really doing is still not you know practicing humanity and you know that's shown in the way that you've shown up today so i know that with everything that you've been through and you know with your experiences. you would like to now kind of start helping those who may be in need of help and need a little bit more motivation to speak about their mental health. You know, what made you want to become a speaker and what sort of driving motivations or what is the intended audience, I should be asking you, that you're trying to help through your work?
1: I, th- this is something that I realized that most advice or all advice is autobiographical. What worked for me may not work for you, but I believe that when people speak so they can get to know themselves, they get to discover from within what is it that they need to do according to their values and what they want. So there's a lot of well-intentioned out there, well-meaning things. Uh, Here's a, a life hack or five points how to make your life better, how to make your relationship better. And it may be true, it's like a diet, you know, all the diets work some of the time, but you need to discover what works for you. And I I learned that some of the most insightful uh, ideas and thoughts that helped me put myself together and still helping me is the ability to find answers from within. And that takes a lot of work. And it happens through speech. Uh, the ability to reach out to someone like my wife and say, uh, I'm overwhelmed right now. I want to to speak to you. Uh, I don't want you to solve my problems. I don't need any advice. Uh, I just need someone to listen to me. And I would say, uh, and she does that for me. And being able to reach, uh, the, the, the thing is, oftentimes when we reach out to family or friends or even a psychology, we're hoping them to give us some tips some guidelines, some advice, and they also feel in that position where they're like, I need to do something, I need to say something. And often, it's just like the answer comes from without, from without, from without, and it's never enough. This is why we have so many self-help books. In the end, they're all saying the same thing. It's all you. It's all you. You are are the architect of your life and and you need to discover what works for you. Uh, There's all these books about relationships. It's like Start with you. How is the relationship with yourself? How do you see yourself? How do you, do you approve of yourself? Do you like yourself? And if you don't, start working on that. What parts of my life am I satisfied with? And what parts of my life can I work on? Yeah. And you yourself begin to put yourself together with the support of other people. But predominantly, it is you who gets to do the work. Nobody else.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I um, would like to follow up and ask if you have a favorite self-help book.
1: Oh, yes. There's a book that uh, it it helped me because not because I learned something new, but it put together a lot of the things that I have learned throughout religion, philosophies, and the book is uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Uh, He's a clinical psychologist from Canada. And one of the rules in that book is rule eight that says, tell the truth or at least don't lie. And I try to live my life according to that. I'm going to do my best. And it's very difficult to tell the truth because oftentimes in conversations, the average person within, what, 10 minutes, they say at least two to three lies uh, from, I'm okay. Oh yeah, I like you. I like the way you are. Or yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I agree with you when you you don't. So we create the life that we dislike by stating little simple statements that are not that you're not fully agreeing with. So that is that book really really had an impact on me because it's so simple. Tell the truth. Treat yourself like somebody that you want to take care of. And that's, uh, you, need, you need to have that relationship with you and take care of you. Uh, oftentimes we want to help other people, but if we're empty, and if we are not living in, uh, what do you call it, if you're incongruent with who you are and your values, you're not doing anyone any service. Everybody wants to give you a tip. Everybody wants to give you advice. But like I said, what worked for them may not work for you. You need to discover that for yourself.
0: I will check that work out. Thank you for sharing that. And um, what alternative therapies could you recommend for us for reducing stress?
1: If if uh, I would say first and foremost, if you are uh, if you've been involved, if you've been uh, the the victim of uh, abuse or trauma, if you've been part of trauma, go see a psychologist if that's not an option due to finances or whatnot, identify someone you trust and talk to them. And like I said, uh, say, please, I don't need any tips. Don't give me advice. I just need someone to talk to. Can I trust that you listen and honor my story? All I need is you to give me that space to talk. And if that is not available, then get a piece of paper and write your thoughts down and then revisit them and write them down until you're like, that's exactly what I'm feeling. I believe that uh, books and uh, exposure to knowledge out there gives us the language that we don't have and I'm not talking English Spanish I'm talking like for example one time I went to speech and I saw a veteran speak and he said this he said imagine waking up every day knowing that today you're going to die he was talking about his deployment and I was like yes exactly that's exactly how I felt before that I knew every day I felt bad. I just did not have the language to express. This is how I felt at the time. So write things down until you are like that's exactly what I'm feeling inside. So yeah, that those are those are my my thoughts on that.
0: So just to conclude, there's three things that you've recommended. One uh, to find yourself a therapist that works if finances are a concern then the second option you could explore is to speak to a trusted friend uh, to just be heard and allow that space to be to speak with somebody that you trust and actually giving them the disclaimer that you just want to be heard and thirdly and most importantly one that I personally really like as well is journaling writing down your thoughts and starting um, to name the things that you're feeling and in psychology i don't. Don't know where i read this but it's um it said that by 50 percent you can reduce uh the anxieties and the stress that you feel by just naming the feeling that you're feeling and it's powerful so
1: you know what they say i, I don't know if you remember or you've ever heard of uh, wayne dyer
0: mm-hmm.
1: and wayne dyer says uh, when you're a squeeze, what's inside you is what comes out if you're an orange and you're a squeeze orange juice is going to come out. And I think when I put myself in a situation like this, where like, I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to speak. And you ask me a question and then what comes out is who I am. And then I begin to identify, Oh, I, I like that about me. I like that about me. And I think it creates, it helps me see that there's a lot more good inside of me that sometimes I don't see other people see. And, It's important. Yeah. Conversations are everything. This is what I believe. Conversations are everything, but you have to put some skin in the game. You are going to look like a fool sometimes. uh, I believe. And, but in in history, you know, written history, they say that the precursor to the hero of the story is the fool. You have to be willing to risk to be the fool in order for you to become the hero of the story.
0: I agree. I totally agree. I think it's applaudable that you have put yourself out there on a platform to talk about. Sometimes when you talk about traumas or your experience, it's basically reliving that process. And I find it very difficult sometimes to even talk about certain things that happen with me. And so... Mm-hmm. Because I understand kind of the process that it takes, I really uh, applaud for the people who do come on and do experience it, and then are able to talk about it to help others. And you have a lot of good in you. The fact that you can recognize you know, what had happened with you and you went and you got some help and now you're trying to just spread the word to say I found this magic thing and everybody needs to go and have it. So thank you so much for taking the time out to share your story, your experience. I've personally really enjoyed listening to you and I think for anybody who's listening is going to feel um, inspired and uh, yeah, just huge, huge thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you for creating the space for me to speak. I continue to learn about myself every time I speak and I think that's that's my goal to create a space for other people to speak and also get to know them and fall in love with themselves. <laughs> thank you.
0: I am. This is a very close subject to my heart and I think the reason why I created this platform was... To, to show who the real heroes were. And it's not the, the superstars or the celebrities, and this was before the pandemic, but um, it's nice that you know people like yourself are taking the initiative to put yourself forward and to show the world what it truly is to be a man and what true meaning of masculinity really is.
1: Right, and, and some of that is uh, being able to acknowledge who you're not. We, there is this expectation, I'm supposed to be this, but we all have different proclivities. You know, I, I'm a person who has a proclivity for, I'm more emotional, and more sensitive, which allows me to actually get in touch with people. But when things don't go my way, then I, I feel overwhelmed by emotion because that's my gift. I, I'm able to feel emotion, but sometimes it's too much. And being able to share that with people, being able to speak truth, not whatever that means truth is whatever makes me feel fully integrated. And when I when I when I do that, then I feel powerful, and then that gives me hope for tomorrow that I will continue to show up as a man who's not falling apart, but is aiming to stay whole. And uh, I think most men, uh, more men, should be able to see that that this is possible. I came up with this quote uh, that says. Uh, light at the end of the tunnel it's you it's always been you we all have this optimal ideal of who we we want to be and when we're going through struggles if we become a little more like that person that we wish we could be all of a sudden we find ourselves getting through our tunnels and yeah it takes work it takes a lot of work thank you yeah this is it creating the space for other people to speak is everything and i think there should be more of that and more than anything help people discover how awesome they are (laughs) And, and I think that's important
0: thank you thank you and take care and stay safe
1: thank you likewise